Have any of you ever been in jail? Wait a minute. You might not want to raise your hand in church on that one. But can I fess up that I have? That shock a few of you probably. Um, I have some good friends. Now I want to explain all of that. I have some good friends who are police officers. One is a police officer in St. Paul, and one is a police officer in St. Louis Park. The police officer, they, they talk with me about their job a lot because cops don't trust a lot of people. So we've talked about their job, and one time the wife invited me to go on a ride along with her in her squad car in East St. Paul on a hot summer's night so I could see what her job is like. So I did. Never want to do it again. Um, at one point in time, we actually arrested a bad guy. I mean, we literally arrested a bad guy. You know all the cop shows that you watch where they go into the house with the guns drawn? I did that. I didn't have a gun because I would have killed I, I don't know what to do with the gun. But they had the guns, but I went in with them. It was freaky. It's a whole lot better watching it on TV or on the movie theater. But they went in and we arrested him and put him in handcuffs and brought him out and throw him in the back of the squad car, you know, the cage on the back of the squad car. I'm sitting in the front of the squad car. He's not happy about being in the back of the squad car. He starts kicking the back seat of the squad car. Everything, the, everything's rattling until she finally turns around and says some choice words to him and he quiets down. And we go to the Ramsey County Jail and we take him into the jail. And we, as we walk down this corridor in the jail, I see the jailer down the hallway, but there were two sets of bars between us and the jailer. And so we walk up with the guy in the handcuffs. I'm walking along here, and we stop, and this door, bars, jail door, slides open. And we step into this little kind of four-foot space, and there's jail bars in front of us, and then behind us, thunk. It has a really a weird feeling when the jail doors lock behind you. And then the next set of jail doors open. And we walk through, and then they come back. Clunk. Now I'm behind two sets of jail doors. It is a weird feeling behind bars. We walked this young man down. He had a wad of cash, I mean a big wad of cash, in his pocket, so it probably tells you what he's been doing, right? But we take him back to the holding area. They have, I don't know, remember what they call it. They had names for everything, stuff I'd never heard of. But they walk him back there, and they put him in this little kind of four-by-four four room that has nothing but a bench, maybe a sink. I'm not sure what else was in there because I didn't look that long. Put him in there, big steel door closes behind him, little window that you can look in there. And there's probably 20 of these, 10 on either side of the hallway. And he happened to be in one of the last ones, so as we walked by, I could look, because they were all my height looking in there. I could look in there. And there were people in almost every one of them on this hot summer night. And when we put that young man behind that door, he again took out his wrath on everything in that room as they closed the door on him. And I noticed that not one of the people that I looked at through those little holes in that door was happy. Nobody was laughing. Nobody was smiling. Nobody was joyful to be in jail. You know, I think sometimes all of us, somewhere along in life, we wind up in spiritual jail. We wind up behind bars, spiritually, if I can put it that way, invisible bars that we keep bumping into 
and that keep pressing in on us and keep diminishing the life that God has for us. And we bump into them and we bump into them and we can be running strong and we just smack into them and fall back down. And we don't make the progress that we want to make or that God wants us to make in life. Because I'm convinced God has an amazing life for every one of us to lead. I think one of the most insidious bars, set of doors, jail, that we can put ourselves into is the jail of unforgiveness. When we make the choice not to forgive, we put ourselves in jail spiritually. Unforgiveness, that, that it's a choice to not forgive is really what it is. It is a choice to be willfully disobedient to God. The Bible doesn't give us any wiggle room on forgiveness. It says forgive, period. In Australia, they say a period is a full stop. I like that. Forgive, full stop. Don't go any farther. Don't mess with unforgiveness. Just forgive. You know what? Forgiveness is not a fun thing to do. It, uh, forgiveness is, an, is not an easy thing to do, but it's the best choice you can make in life. The bars that we run into when we choose not to forgive are pretty straightforward. Anger. Like, if you're the type of person that pops off all the time, check your heart for some unforgiveness. Resentment, bitterness, hatred, animosity, cynicism sarcasm. All those things can feed on unforgiveness and create a jail so big that we can't get through it. It affects all of our relationships. Unforgiveness is a seed, a root that destroys marriages, destroys family, causes you to be estranged from people that you want to have relationship with, but you can't figure out why every time you get around them, you have an attitude toward them. It just, it, it can be so insidious. Sometimes it's much more apparent than that. You look at someone and you just, everything in you gets mad at them. We all do it. I mean, I can't, I can't, there is no one in here that has ever fought, not fought, unforgiveness. And some of us have lived behind the bars of unforgiveness much longer. In fact, we get so used to it, we don't even realize that we're fighting against unforgiveness. Now, can we be honest here? There's a lot of reasons we like to use to not forgive, right? And we use them very, very well with one another. I mean, we're good at explaining to one another why we don't want to forgive or why we shouldn't have to forgive. Like, um, I was right. And bless God, they know I was right. <laughs> or the, antithesis, the flip side of that, I was wrong, but heaven forbid that I would admit that I was wrong. So I'm just going to be mad at them anyway. Another great excuse to not forgive. Well, they haven't apologized. Hmm, yeah. And then here's one, and I hear it a lot, and I want to be empathetic to this. But I want to be straight with you tonight. Is that some of you are sitting in here, and you've had horrid, unfair, unjust, mean, vicious, abusive things done to you. And you honestly don't think you could ever forgive the person that's done it. But it's an excuse. And God doesn't let you off the hook. Not because he's unjust, but because he cares passionately about you. 
I was talking to a friend of mine today about unforgiveness. She's my age, which is old. <laughs> and from the time she was a little girl until the time she started dating her husband today, they've been married 30-plus years, so now you know how old I am. Her father physically and sexually and verbally abused her. And I think one of the most tragic things that occurred is that when her father would come into the room to take advantage of her, her mother would leave the room. Leave the room. And my friend was so unforgiving, so bitter, so hateful, so vicious, until at 40 she realized Unforgiveness is like acid inside of her. It's heating, eating her up from the inside out and doing nothing to her parents. And she came to that realization before she ever met Christ. Before she met Christ. Wrote them a letter and forgave them. They never once acknowledged the letter, never once apologized for what happened. And she is a different woman today. I've heard stories. I didn't know her before she forgave them. And I can't believe the stories I've heard. And she'll tell them on herself. But she says unforgiveness was killing her. We can make every excuse in the book to not forgive until we come face to face with what Jesus says about forgiveness. You know, I'm going to read some from Matthew 18 tonight. Um, and this, is, this chapter is set right in the middle of three chapters that Jesus teaches on community and how to get along. Have you figured out that God wants his kids to get along? Parents, have you ever said that to your kids? Can't you just get along? Right? And I think God says that to us. Can't you just get along. And so Peter comes to Jesus. Now Peter's, God's, Jesus has been working on Peter for a while. I, I'm so thankful Peter's in the Bible because when I look at Peter, I know there's hope for me. And God's been, Jesus has been working on Peter and he's starting to get it. And he comes to, to Jesus in Matthew 18 and he says, hey Jesus, how many times do I have to forgive somebody? He's probably going like that to James or John, right? Because it's probably James or John. Maybe it was his wife back home. I don't know. But he was having trouble with somebody. He says, really, come on, Jesus. How many times do I have to forgive? Seven? Can I, if I forgive seven times, is that good enough? And now let me give you context here. The rabbis in that point in time said if you forgive three times, that's good enough. Three is good enough. So Peter was, had come a long way. I mean, he doubled it. It was not only just six, he added one more for good measure, seven. He's like, seven? All right, I'm, I've grown. I'm, you know, I'm past that. I'm seeing you're somebody different than the, the Pharisees. I'm, I'm going for the seven. And Jesus looked, Peter, not seven, but seven times seven. Now, bear in mind, that doesn't mean you keep track, right? Okay, here's, you know, here's... One, here's two, 
I gotta get two, right? And you keep track of these, all these little poker chips until you get four, 487, 488, 489, 490. No, that's not what Jesus was saying. He's, the, the point Jesus was making is, as followers of him, when he gets a hold of our heart, when we realize how much he's forgiven us, our only response is to live a life of forgiveness, to live forgiving. And then he goes on and tells this amazing story. So read with me in Matthew 18. They'll be good and put it up there. In verse 23, it says, there the kingdom of, Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with a service. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, there's all kinds of debate about how big that debt was. But one of the things that I like, one of the word pictures that is drawn for me in a lot of the Bibles that I studied, is the talent, one talent, was worth 20 years of wages. One talent, 20 years of wages. He owed the guy 10,000 talents. 20 times 10,000, 200,000 years of wages. Anybody feeling overwhelmed at this point in time? Anybody realizing that that is a debt that is impossible? Can you say that with me? Impossible to repay. Impossible to repay. Goes on, verse 25. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold, and his wife and children, and all that he had, the guy to be sold, his wife and his children, all that he had, basically sell all the proceeds, have an estate sale, and I'll take what's there and we'll call it good. The servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Have you ever said to God, God, if you'll just forgive me this once time, one time, just one time, God, forgive me this one time and I'll never do it again. He says, Master, have patience with me. I'll pay it all. Look at the master's response. Then the master that servant said, or that master that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave the debt. Did you catch that? A debt impossible to repay. It cost the master a lot to forgive that servant. There was no way that man could have repaid the master that debt. And the master at the plea for mercy said, I forgive it, I release you, and I, I release the debt. It's done. Don't you think that would have an impact on how that man lived life? If someone forgave you a debt you could never repay, wouldn't hold you accountable for all the things that you've done against them, forgave it all, don't you think that would affect the way you'd live? Look at what this servant does. Verse 28, but that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Okay, denarii, let's talk about what this is. A denarii was one day's wage. Okay, one day's wage. The guy owed him 
this guy owed this servant 100 denarii. So 100 days wage. Mind you, 200,000 years wage was what he was forgiven. He was owed 100 days wage. Look at what's the response. He laid hands on him, took him by the throat, saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, listen, have patience with me, and I'll pay you all. Does that sound familiar? Look at the servant's response. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. I love the Bible. It says there the servant would not forgive him. didn't say he could not. It says he would not. He made a choice not to forgive a debt. The fellow servants, verse 31, the fellow servants saw what had been done. They were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he called him, said to him, you wicked servant. Ouch. I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? His master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due him. Verse 35, so my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Wow. Now why is Jesus all over this forgiveness thing? Is it that he wants to, to he's, he doesn't care if we're treated unfairly, if he doesn't care if we're treated unjustly? No, it's because he knows what unforgiveness does inside of us. Unforgiveness eats us up from the inside. It sours us on life. It destroys relationships. It causes us to be isolated. It breaks off everything of value in our life because we're trying to make someone pay back what they cannot pay back. And we're forgetting everything we've been forgiven of. Church, forgiveness is never, never, never based on what someone has done to us. But it's based totally in what Jesus has done for us. I don't know what's happened to you in here. And my heart breaks for some of the stories that I hear about what's been done and what's occurred in people's lives. But I can tell you, hanging on to unforgiveness doesn't solve the problem. In fact, it makes it worse. Now, just to set a few people at ease here, I want to be clear with you about what forgiveness is not. When you forgive, you are not excusing that behavior. You are not excusing that. Oh, it's okay. No, there are some things that have been done to you that are not okay, and forgiving them is not excusing 
their behavior. The other thing, it's not forgetting it. Can I, just a quick personal story. When, when Jesus asks us to forgive, it doesn't erase our memory banks. And just because you do remember it doesn't mean you have, forgive, you have not forgiven. Can I show you a picture? Would, will you throw, tech team, will you throw that picture up there? That was my condominium in February of 1987. A guy that was at a party across the street from my condominium decided to move his car from the driver or from the passenger side of the car and managed to park it in the living room of my condominium. Yeah. He obliterated, it looked like a bomb went off in there. I mean, I, I was just, I, the, I think the funniest part though is that my neighbors who were at home upstairs at the time that he did this thought, what in the world was that noise? And they went running to the window just as he pulled out. Okay, so they were really freaked out, right? The interesting thing, the young man, the, the car that he was driving, he didn't own the car. The guy that owned the car, no insurance on the car. He had just bought it, hadn't transferred the title. The guy that sold him to him hadn't driven it for years, didn't have any insurance on it. Guess what? I didn't have any renter's insurance. The young man that drove the car, making minimum wage. I looked up today what minimum wage was back in 1987, $3.35. The cost to repair my house, right around $18,000. It was a debt he could not repay. I could have garnished his wages. I could have made him, tried to make him pay forever. And you know what? I, I tried to get all the insurance companies I could. I tried to get my car insurance company to pay for it. See, I'd made some stupid financial decisions right before that, and they let my renter's insurance or my homeowner's insurance lapse. No insurance. And I was in there one day, walking the floor in that mess. And God said, Lindsay, forgive him. I'm like, well, okay, I'll forgive him for being an idiot. <laughs> I'll forgive him. And I just heard the Lord's, no, forgive him everything. No charges. Don't garnish his wages. Let it go. Can I tell you, I was mad. <laughs> God, I have been living for you. I was, I was passionate. I was serving God. I was doing every, I wasn't sleeping around, smoking around, chewing around, nothing. I didn't deserve that. And yet God said, let it go. And so I met with him and said, I'll release you. I don't even remember the young man's name. I'll never forget that. I've forgiven him, but I won't forget that that happened. I'm sorry, a once in a lifetime car parked in your living room, you don't forget that. But I forgave him. I have no animosity. In fact, I would hope to meet that young man if he's still alive someday and say, you doing okay? I hope you've accepted Jesus. Let me say this. Forgiveness does not mean you are reconciling with someone. The reconciliation process comes after forgiveness. And there is a process to that. But forgiveness is for your benefit. And then other steps are taken to reconcile. And can I tell you that forgiveness does not require that you trust an untrustworthy person. 
You do not put yourself back in harm's way of someone who is untrustworthy, but forgiveness sets you free from the ball in the chain of it. We can all live a forgiving life. And let me just speak to the rest of us, you know, that was a bummer. But no one was hurt. No one was physically hurt in that situation. And maybe the rest of you, I've never had anybody physically hurt me, and I'm thankful for that. But I, I realize there's a lot of poker chip moments in life, little things that happen, little offenses, little hurts, little wounds that come up in our life, and we collect them. Happens a lot in marriages. It'll happen a lot in, friend, in friendships. It actually happens in church. In fact, maybe there's someone in this building right now who's sitting on that side that someone over here has been collecting poker chips on. And you... It's not a big event, but it's a bunch of little events that add up until you have a whole set of poker chips on them. Some of you are collecting poker chips about your spouse. And I'm asking you tonight to let them go. I've told you what unforgiveness will do to you. Let me tell you what forgiveness is. It's letting it drop. In fact, the Greek word for forgive means to literally throw it away from you. I was going to throw that, but it weighs about 10 pounds and I'd kill somebody with it. So I'm not going to throw that. Throw it away. Get it out of you. Don't mess with it. It's not easy at times to forgive. And, but let me just share a few quick ideas about what you can do to forgive. One, don't look past forgiving the person. We, we think, what if, what if, what if? What's going to happen if? What, what if? Just forgive them. Talk to God. Tell him how much it hurt. Tell him how it hurt. And then release the person into God's hands. God, I release that person. I'm asking you, God, to make it up to me. They can't. But God, you can't. You can heal my heart. You can restore what they stole. You can. God, do it in me. And then times when I've had to work on tough places where I've had to forgive, I've actually written it down. I used to do it with pen and paper. Now it's on the computer. And I love the computer because sometimes I can get so wrapped up in it, believe it or not, that I can use all those funny symbols on my computer to describe what it felt like. And then I print it. I take the sheet. I crumple it up, and I actually leave my house with it and find a garbage can and throw it in the garbage can after having deleted the file at home, by the way, and drive away from it. And then you quit talking about it. You quit thinking about it. You quit telling people about it. You quit meditating on it. And you quit thinking about what you wish would happen 
to the one that hurt you and you begin to pray for them. They hurt you because we're all broken and you just ran into their brokenness in a really hard way. Pray that God would work a healing in their heart. You know, I think most of us probably grew up praying a prayer that once said, that we said, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespassed against us. Tonight, I want to ask you to do that. Would you all bow your heads with me? You know, maybe tonight you're wrestling with poker chip type offenses. Maybe you realize as God spoke to you that you've collected poker chips. Maybe it's something bigger. Maybe God showed you tonight that you're in that prison, that spiritual prison of unforgiveness. Whatever it is, I'm asking you to just figuratively take it in your hands right now. Grip it tightly. And with me, let's pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, forgive me for holding this unforgiveness in my heart. God, you know the situation. You know what happened. And I've held it in me. Father God, I ask you to forgive me for that. And right now, as an act of my will, I turn my hands over and I let it drop. Just let it go. Father, I let it go before you. I ask you, Father, to heal where I've been hurt, to restore what was taken from me. Father, I release them for any payback. I ask you to bless them and minister to them, Father. And from this day forward, God, I walk away free from the prison of unforgiveness. In Jesus' name. Father, let that be real in every one of our hearts. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Church, would you stand with me? Prayer teams, will you come forward?